On this episode of AvTalk, we recap the news from the 2021 Dubai Air Show, some great news for Boeing and the 737 MAX, and we have some minor technical difficulties. Sorry, Kat stepped on the laptop and muted the mic. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Hello, Ian. How are you enjoying this Dubai Air Show week? Hello, Jason. I enjoyed it very vicariously and very well. Thank you very much. Same. It's been great covering it from while I lie in bed after I wake up and on the couch and on my desk and generally in places where I'm not there. <laughs> we sent Gabriel and we also sent Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren to the show and they will have on, well, you're listening to this on Friday. After you're done listening to the podcast, you can head over to our YouTube channel, the Flight Radar 24 YouTube channel and watch their full recap of the show, including some of the incredible 777X flying display interviews with folks who are there and actually have something to talk about, as well as just a wrap up of everything that they saw at the show. So when you're done listening to the podcast, head over there and you can check that out. But we'll recap some of the, I guess, more businessy aspects of the show. Though we will start with, I don't know if we'll start with the the flying display because it would be kind of weird to narrate a flying display in a podcast, but I will say that it was pretty impressive to watch the 777X do that. I think that's the one thing I am jealous of having not been able to see in person since the videos don't really do it justice. But every one of these air shows, either Airbus, Boeing, and, and the other aircraft manufacturers, they will attempt to put on a a very nice flying display. I don't actually know if Boeing has done that very recently, but it did here at Dubai. Last time I was in Dubai, it was the A350-900 on the flying display. What That was five years ago. Now we have the 777X on its first international sortie, its first international anything, its first air show. The flying display, at least one of its runs, it made an extremely impressive looking turn to the left, I guess, a, a, it, which looks like it was a bank angle of over 90 degrees, though I'm sure they will never actually confirm that. That was planned so that you could get the belly titles in full view and rather impressive. Yeah. The previous Boeing flying display was the 787-9 that they had decked out in the world's largest vinyl wrap. I don't know if you remember the, it was like the pink and purple vinyl wrap that they had was the 2019 show was the one that they did with the the flying display there. But the 777X was quite the flying display. We'll have some of it in the YouTube video. And and we also post a link to the show notes to one of the videos that was captured at the Dubai air show, just of the flying display. Well worth looking at and well worth knowing that the late 2023 timeline is still a thing. Yeah. So last week before the show, Boeing tweeted that they were looking forward to to the Dubai Air Show and bringing the 777X. And Lufthansa 
made a comment that they said, uh, wish you were here. Little dig at how long it's taken them to get the plane. But the 777X is currently in Qatar. And by the time the podcast comes out, it will have made it to Frankfurt so that Lufthansa can be sufficiently impressed with the aircraft, hopefully before taking deliveries of it. Great. And keep in mind that's still delivery in late 2023, which almost certainly means entry into service again in 2024, best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be, of course, up to the FAA and the approval process there. And and we'll see how long things take. They said that it'll be roughly a 44-month approval process for the 777X. And I saw a stat that compared it to the 10-month approval process for the original 777. So, a lot more time going into this particular certification process. Yeah, a lot more scrutiny, a lot more eyeballs on this one, also in the middle of an an industry crippling pandemic. And also, no one is really, really in desperate need of the 777X right now. I'm, I'm sure they are all happy Whomever is taking this aircraft first, we, we still don't know. I don't think Boeing knows. I don't think the airlines know. But whomever is going to take it first it is not in dire need of this very large, possibly too large aircraft. Yeah, that's a, a good point and one that I think we've talked about before. But well, it was nice to see it flying and doing things and being able to see it. Gabriel and Jeremy got inside of it and said it is just as big everywhere as it looks on the outside. So that'll be hopefully one that we'll be flying in a couple of years. Other kind of big new aircraft news coming out of Dubai is that we officially have an A350 freighter launch customer. There are orders. Air Lease has decided that it is going to purchase seven of them. A good start to the A350 freighter program. We still don't know when exactly they'll take them. And we don't know which, because Air Lease is a a lessor, we don't know which actual airline will be operating them. That's still up for speculation. But it's good to see somebody's going to take them and put them to use. Yeah, kind of seems like the A350 freighter came out of nowhere in the last few weeks. There's a lot of industry scuttlebutt about it, that it was a thing. Here's why it's good. Here's why it's bad. And and Airbus never really formally launched it. As far as I know, it was just kind of there one day and ALC placed an order for it at the Dubai Air Show. And we don't have any renderings as far as I know. We don't really have a spec sheet or capabilities or a range, uh, really anything other than ALC has ordered a bunch of them to be operated by somebody in the future. There are spec sheets and there are renderings in the ALC livery, but I don't think we've seen any detailed renderings other than just kind of a, a livery-based rendering. Yeah, it's, the, it's that one rendering put out by Airbus for this order specifically in Air Lease livery, but it's you know amongst the other aircraft as well. It's not focused on the A350 freighter. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I don't think it came out of nowhere. I think that if they were going to launch it at an air show, this was the air show to do it because they had talked about it. And, and when we had been at uh, the Airbus Summit in September – they had talked that it was selling well, you know, in their conversation. So they, they weren't prepared at that point to say who was buying it, but they said that it was selling well and within their expectations. 
I assume we'll see more orders soon. When we get closer to the aircraft being defined and, and things like that, we can have a, a more extensive conversation about how it competes, especially with the 777F, which is really where the market's going to come from as far as the A350 freighter is concerned. But the interesting thing, at least to my mind, was the a little nudge by Airbus CEO Guillaume Fauri about the A350 freighter's timeline being somewhat concurrent with Airbus's research on single pilot operations, which I, I thought was was really the more interesting thing about the A350. They're still studying this. This is not, you know, tomorrow. And there's no certification yet for it. There's no playbook for single pilot operations at this level yet. But it's interesting to see that that Fari was encouraging such, you know, kind of timelining about these single pilot operations. And basically, we, we talked about this a few episodes ago when it was originally brought up by Airbus. But these would be long haul flights where you would have two pilots on board, but you would have one pilot on the flight deck at any one time, and then you would have one pilot resting. So this would supplant flights where you normally have three crew members, you would then just have two. So the single pilot operation thing I don't want to call it a misnomer, but there wouldn't be just one person on the aircraft. There would be at least two pilots on the aircraft, but this would take the place of flights where you would normally have more than two pilots. So it's an interesting concept. It's more interesting now that it's being pushed as kind of an A350 freighter solution, but I'm curious to see how well that plays out. In my Twitter timeline today, of course, there was a promoted tweet from the Airline Pilots Association decrying single pilot operations and saying, you know, that we'll never fly with just one pilot. So there's some opposition to overcome. Sure. But also remember with this very same aircraft right now, Airbus is trialing or working on the technology to basically have this aircraft completely fly itself. It can already cruise autopilot semi-autonomously. It can auto land. The aircraft have been doing that for decades. But most recently, Airbus has been demonstrating the A350's capability to take off autonomously or again, I guess it's semi-autonomously because somebody still has to set the parameters and then all of the waypoints and all that. But the A350 is well on its way to be able to accomplish all three major phases of flight semi-autonomously. So single pilot operations definitely isn't all that out of question. And it feels like we're going to go from, (laughs) at least for freighters, from the three pilot to technically one pilot to no pilot operation in kind of a, a short span of time in the grand scheme of time, I think. In the grand scheme of time, that's going to be the title of this episode. In the grand scheme of time. Perfect. Don't forget it by the time we're done. Yeah, believe me, I will. I think that I don't think you're wrong. I think at least in our lifetime, we will see a decrease of crew complement, at least in freighter aircraft, if not some passenger aircraft. That'll be something that we definitely return to, especially as things become a bit more serious there. What do you say we talk about who bought airplanes? Petchmo Air, I feel like. It maybe had a secret order. Are you an undisclosed customer? I am an undisclosed customer for the re-engined DC-8. I'm going to put leap engines on a DC-8 and see what happens. Biggest order of the show 
was the Indigo Partners order. They ordered 255 aircraft. Indigo Partners is the owner, uh, equity owner of Wizz Air, Frontier, Volaris, and JetSmart. And so it breaks down thusly. Wizz Air is getting 102 aircraft, 75 A320neos, and 27 A321XLRs. That's interesting to me. That is interesting, isn't it? Frontier picks up 91, all A321neos. Volaris gets 39, all A321neos. And JetSmart picks up 23, 21 A321neos, and two A321XLRs. The Wizz Air A321XLR order is very interesting to me because where do you go if you're Wizz Air with an A321XLR. We already know that Wizz Air can fly from, what is it, Reykjavik to Los Angeles with an A321neo. If there's <laughs> like eight people on board, they've sure. done that before. But, you know, does this open up North America for Wizz Air? Absolutely. I do not want to be a passenger on one of those flights, but I'm sure <laughs> there are 230 people that they could pile up on one of these XLRs that would be more than happy to fly I don't know, Stuart to Budapest nonstop. I mean, why not? Yeah. And and again, this is on top of the last massive order that Indigo has placed. This is not Indigo's first time at the buffet table. This is what their third time that Indigo has placed a massive order and it just seems like they keep taking more and more and more. Yeah. I think what the previous order is 400 something spread across the four airlines. Yeah, so this is a, a huge order, but in indigo terms, it's actually kind of modest. <laughs> I like how we're benchmarking indigo orders as kind of the baseline for all others, which is probably not good because no one ordered nearly as many planes. The next biggest order was the ALC order, which included the seven A350 freighters, but also included 25 A22300s, 55 A321neos, 20 A321XLRs, 4 A330neos. So a widespread for Airbus. If you're noticing a trend, these are all Airbus orders so far. Airbus definitely taking the crown of the Dubai Air Show as far as orders are concerned. Though there were some very interesting Boeing orders that we will get to in just a second. Yeah, we'll run down the full list and and or at least the full list that we can find. Yeah, um, yeah. There there's is no full list. Somebody should really put that together. Whoever you know puts on the show. But I always find it interesting that these orders are oddball numbers. Like why twenty five A two twenties, but only twenty three twenty one XLRs. Like there must be so much math that goes into determining how many very expensive airplanes they think they can place with airlines to come up with. 20, but not 25. I mean, we could find someone who does the math and bring them on and ask them. Let's do Let's that. Let's run down the list of- Go for it, Jason. Everything else. Go for it. Ibom Air, A220s, 10 of them. I believe they are Nigerian, is it? Yes, they are Nigerian. Yes, Nigerian. They are actually already an A220 operator. I found this out while looking up this order. They, have they took a pair from Air Sinai who- is a weird subsidiary of Egypt Air who no longer needs those A220s, so they found a new home in Nigeria. They're the weird subsidiary that was getting around travel restrictions because you couldn't fly an, an Egypt Air livery. You couldn't fly an Egypt Air livery aircraft, but now they don't need to worry about that, and so they got rid of the planes. 
that's a, a pretty hard decision to make to just say, we don't need it for this one particular route. So be gone with you off to Nigeria. Well, they were an oddball. Yeah, they were uh, moving down the list. An airline I've never heard of, Akasa Air, seventy two seven three seven Max aircraft. I believe some of them are also the Max eighty two hundred. I think yes, but we don't know the breakdown. No, we don't know the breakdown. We just know it's a split between the regular Max and the super super high density Max that you might be familiar with from Ryanair. So that's good for Boeing. Also placed, I guess. Not exactly a banner order, but 72 Max is nothing to sneeze at at all. Moving down the list, Jazeera Airways. I think they are a Saudi Arabian airline. 28 A320neo, so that's a sizable order. Air Tanzania, a 767-300 freighter. You don't hear about many 767 orders anymore. N2, a pair of 737 Max. Emirates ordered a 777F was it one or two? Two. 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 Triple and, seven and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you for just a second. Jazeera is Kuwaiti. Ah, I, I just, yeah. A right. hand-waving mid-course correction. Mm, yes. I'm thinking of Fly a Deal. That? No, the other one. There is another Saudi Arabian low-cost carrier that isn't Fly a Deal, but it's, it's – I don't remember. Saudi Gulf, I think, maybe? Sure. Another airline I've never heard of, Overland Airways, ordered three plus three options for the Embraer E-175. I think it's the E-1, not even the E-2. I have no idea who that airline is, but where did you say they were from? Nigeria again? I don't know if we said where they're from. Oh, okay. Well, someone should look that up. Yeah, N- Nigeria. Sorry. Yeah, okay. So Nigeria's coming in strong in the Dubai air show. They're Lego spaced. Yeah, look at that. And then an interesting order that I don't really have the details on, but Air Corsica ordered some ATRs with a new option for re-engined capabilities. So I, I don't know much about this. Maybe we'll do some research and come up next week with what exactly ATR is cooking up with a, a re-engined aircraft, but that's always nice to see some turboprop ac- action. I mean, I'm not against it. I enjoy flying on the ATR. I've never been on an ATR. They're fun. They're fun. Yeah. We don't have any here in the US, do we? Yeah, silver. Oh, yeah. They have a couple. Yeah, not many. A couple. That's about it. I mean, there's a long history of why the US is not populated by ATRs as much as they are elsewhere. But yeah, no. So the re-engine ATR, so ATR Air Corsair becomes the launch customer for this new Pratt & Whitney engine, which is going to be available next year. It basically increases the amount of time that the engines can be run. The fuel burn is less and it's basically a, a step improvement for the engines. And then they'll become standard on all of the all of the ATRs moving forward starting next year. 2022 is next year. Yes, next year. So there you go. Well, that's good. So that's uh, all of the relevant orders we can figure out that were placed at the Dubai Air Show. Clearly, not that it's a competition, but it absolutely is a competition and Airbus has won. <laughs> yes. It'd be a lot closer without yet another massive Indigo order, but it, it's still the scales still tip in Airbus's favor at this point. But seventy-two maxes is a nice confidence boost for Boeing. I think that it was overall it was a much busier show than we expected. A lot of the media narrative going into the show is it's going to be a very quiet show. Not much is going to happen. 
But from day one, it was clear that it was going to be a very busy show. There were going to be a lot of aircraft orders, you know, compared to what the expectations were. And there were going to be some pleasant surprises. And I think all of that happened. I'm happy. I mean, I think there were more orders placed this year than when I went to the Dubai Air Show. What was it in 2016? So that that's impressive. I think we mentioned this last week, or or maybe I was just thinking it into the microphone. But the Dubai Air Show is a really it's it's a military hardware expo that happens to have some commercial aviation attached to it. At least traditionally, that's how it's been. This year, commercial aviation snuck a bit more into it. I think because a lot of people were very excited that this was the first air show back in person in two years and, and people could you know get together again. And I think that made made things maybe a bit more festive than they traditionally are. Yeah. There's no real reason that Indigo needed to place an order for aircraft at the Dubai air show. They, they have no real connection to the Middle East, but it was an event with people at it. So they were excited. I mean, Wizz Air has their Abu Dhabi two airplanes. Yeah, was it two airplanes, maybe? Yeah, literally two airplanes, but tangential connection at best. best. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened real quick. Emirates is adding premium economy to more aircraft, and Jason, you had something to say about that. I mean, about freaking time. They've been talking about it for years and years. They outfitted their six last A380s to come off the line, but there are so few aircraft they can't actually sell the product because they don't really know where those six aircraft are going to go six months in advance. So it's welcome to the party, but they are the first real Middle Eastern airline to offer a premium economy. So I guess it it is exciting to see that roll out to more aircraft. Um, not all of their aircraft, it's maybe about half of the Emirates fleet. And nobody's quite sure if that's because they're retiring half of their existing 777-300ERs, or they just don't think they need it on all of their aircraft, but it still won't be the entire fleet. But it's still good to see. I could not agree more. We also got our first look at the Singapore Singapore Airlines 737 MAX regional cabin, so the new business cabin. You're air quoting around regional, right? Well, yeah. I mean, mean, these aircraft, they they are no regional jets. But I mean, regional for as far as Singapore's route network is concerned. Fair enough. Certainly not regional jets, but, you know, keeping it within what? Within five five hours flying time for Singapore? That's regional, I suppose. Yeah, regional-ish. I mean, this is also the airline that has uh, A350 regional aircraft, so fair enough. Yeah, we have, you know, but anyway, first look at the cabin. It looks nice. It's Singapore. It should look nice. It's it's the one thing they need to do is make the damn thing look nice. But remember, <laughs> these are our tortured aircraft. They were delivered. These Maxes were delivered new to Silk Air, operated very briefly. Then you had the Max grounding, and then they never got back in the air. And then Silk Air ceased to exist during COVID. So... That's unfortunate. So now they'll be completely refurbished, even though they're basically babies. They've never really been flown. And now they're outfitted again in a more Singapore airline style cabin, which is great. Nothing special. Who is it? Fly Dubai has a variant of the 737 MAX with lie flat seats as well. So it's nothing unique. Even on narrow bodies, I remember the SAS 
321 Neo LRs, maybe they'll fly too. Maybe they'll fly eventually, yes. Maybe they'll fly eventually, but we are seeing more and more airlines put very fancy cabins at the pointy end of their narrow bodies. And Singapore is the latest entrant. They haven't operated a 737 in decades, I believe, but this is actually not the first time Singapore's operated a 7.3. So that's an interesting fact. Getting back to what used to be. We also got a first look at Etihad's A350-1000 featuring the that new business class seat with a door, which, I mean, doesn't really mean anything now anymore. I mean, it's, it's like that's- no, that's that far from unique. Nice to have, but yeah, not, not unique anymore. But they've standardized that. So look for that flying sometime soon. At some point, yeah, sure. we think. Some, sometime, somewhere. They had uh, those on, on property for a while, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this is not anything that is new to them, just new to us. Etihad and Airbus also announced that they're going to do, with their A350-1000s, they're going to do a similar thing that Etihad has done with Boeing and the Greenliner, where they trial fuel efficiency and performance improvements and things like that using their aircraft, working with the you know, the manufacturer as well. Uh, so look for some interesting stuff coming out of that in the coming months and year. What else happened? Oh, the MC-21 was there with the Russian engines, the Progress 14 engines. So that that aircraft is a flight test vehicle that has a very small section of actual cabin, and then the rest is all flight test equipment and things like that. There's more on that in the YouTube video that Gabriel and Jeremy put together, but they did mention, I'm sure they'll mention in the video, that it is very wide and it was quiet when it flew. So that'll be interesting. The one thing they didn't want to talk about was how they're going to sell it outside of Russia. They just kind of smiled and nodded when that question was posed. Well, they managed to sell the Sukhoi Superjet outside of Russia, which is kind of the opposite in the MC-21 in that it was narrow and noisy and, and now is pretty much a dead aircraft outside of Russia. I hope to see the MC-21 have some better luck, but it sounds like a nice entry into the not quite narrow, but not quite wide body market. Yeah, the squishy middle, I guess. Squishy middle. Yeah, yeah, sure. Write that down so we don't forget the squishy middle. I'm writing it down right now. Squishy middle. Got it. More 737 MAX news. This time, it's all good news, actually. We finally got a timeline for when the latest variants will be in. The MAX 7 has finished flight testing. It is expected to enter into service next year, so 2022. The MAX 10 is beginning that course of testing and is expected to enter into service in 2023. And huge Huge news this week being reported by Reuters. A document released by the CAAC to Chinese airlines says that China, the regulators are satisfied with Boeing's changes to the 737 MAX and they are seeking industry feedback. So basically the same thing that the FAA did, the same thing that EASA did in Europe saying, we think this is good enough. What do you think? And they're soliciting feedback from Chinese airlines and pilots and everybody like that. So this could be one of the final steps before China again allows the MAX to operate, which would be amazing news for Boeing because they can then begin delivering all of those 737 MAX that are sitting around in various storage locations in the US waiting to head to China. 
hundreds of them. And this would be a pretty big deal because China, as we've discussed before, has been very quiet. The airlines in China have made no speculation about when that aircraft will return to flight. They are not in the schedule for any of the Chinese airlines that I know of. So they'll have to figure that out and when and where to place them back in service. But that's very exciting for Boeing. That's hundreds and hundreds of aircraft that they've been sitting on that they can't get paid for. So that is really nice progress to see. Yeah, for sure. And then we wait on Russia. Yeah, I mean, it less of an issue. Less of an issue, but there's still a sizable chunk of maxes that should be going to Russia that aren't. That is very true. And it's also, you know, a major chunk of the global aviation airspace that those aircraft need to be able to fly through. Yeah, I think that's a bigger, much bigger part of the puzzle as far as Russia is concerned. Let's see, where should we go next? Oh, let's go to Canada. So this is interesting. We got an email from a listener that said, hey, what do you think about Lynx? And I said, well, I think they're cute and furry. I wouldn't want to keep one as a pet. And he said, no. I click on links on my computer. Yes. And he said, no, this new Canadian airline. And I said, what? So announcing today is a new ultra low cost carrier from Canada. They are calling themselves Lynx Air. This is the airline that is formerly Enerjet, which was the charter carrier for energy sector workers that were, you know, going from major cities up to oil and gas places in northern Canada where they would then, you know, fly home so on this charge. So they're changing their business model and they're going with an ultra low cost carrier model which seems rather interesting and they will go for 46 737 max over the next 7 years. So that'll be an interesting get for Boeing and interesting to see how well they do with the ultra low cost carrier model in Canada. Yeah, Canada very quickly went from basically having the mainline carrier, Air Canada and WestJet, and, and really no ultra low cost carriers to kind of be overrun with them now. You've got WestJet Encore, you have Swoop, you have Flare, you have, that's the other one that I can't remember. There's another one. And now you have links. So that's a lot of ultra low cost carriers all of a sudden, really the last five years setting up shop in Canada. Oh, isn't there also that weirdo one that's operating flights on behalf of like American or something? You're going to have to be a little bit more specific. I don't remember, but they're using like dash eights. Maybe, no, maybe they're, it's that weird one that's going to operate out of like Boston with dash eights that- Oh, Waltzing Matilda. Yeah, that one. Like they're set up in Canada, but they're actually operating US flights. Right, 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 right. We'll come back to them. That's another podcast topic. Yeah, we'll come back to them in a different episode because that's just a a really weird story. But anyway, good for Canada. If flying on an ultra low cost carrier is your thing, Canada seems like a great place to be right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you want to go from someplace in Canada to someplace that is not in Canada that is warm. That's exclusively what they do. Yeah, pretty much. The weirdest story of the day goes to Italy, where ITA has taken this- I don't know how you can't not laugh at this one. It is just okay, ridiculous. Let me see if I can do this whole thing justice. So, what happened was- the ITA folks took out an ad in the German newspaper, basically writing a love letter from ITA to Lufthansa. 
Go where on. the chairman, the, the chairman of the board of ITA, wrote among other things. Let's see. I think Lufthansa is beautiful and rich. Lufthansa will be one of those handsome and rich admirers who might be interested in ITA Airways. Huh? This is just bizarre. Yeah, they went on to say that their in Sky Team alliance, which Lufthansa Group is famously not a part of, only for a year temporarily because it's already integrated into their systems, and they really would like to be owned or operated or controlled or something by the Lufthansa Group. I have so many questions that we'll never get an answer to, but but why would Lufthansa Group ever want a piece of ITA? It's astounding that this would be a thing that they would even put in public. Lufthansa has said that they are open to some form of cooperation. I mean, cooperation is not being bought by or being bought by or, or having Lufthansa Group outright buy them. No, no, no. Yeah, the, the whole ad thing was was just. I think it's bizarre. I honestly don't understand it. And maybe there's a, a political angle that I'm not picking up on, but purely from an airline perspective. I could see some sort of cooperation, but I could never see ITA becoming part of Lufthansa Group. Lufthansa Group has its own problems. And it's got already a number of airlines. <laughs> I mean, you could look at this in a couple of ways. Like it tried to do something similar with Brussels Airlines that just never really worked. And it's still dealing with that. It's still dealing with like eight different Eurowingses. I'm still not completely sure we know how many Eurowingses there are, but I can't imagine. Lufthansa Group taking on ITA, which just placed a massive order for aircraft that are going to be quite expensive, I'm sure. I, I can't even fathom why this was a thing. I just like that it was an advertisement in a newspaper. I think it says a lot about print advertising and the ability of newspapers to really capture the attention. So there's that. I'm going to just leave that. I'll just leave that there. Before we get to the end of the show, we've got two interesting things. One is statistics from the National Transportation Safety Board are out about 2020. Uh, as far as accidents and things go, there were no fatal airline accidents in the US in 2020. That's a change from 2019. And the most interesting statistic that I found in, in that particular release, and we'll put the whole thing in the show notes so you can look at the breakdown by what type of aircraft and, and flying and things like that. But US air carrier operations decreased by 55% in 2020 from about 19.8 to 8.9 million flight hours. And I thought that was a very, not surprising, you know, based on everything we've already talked about over the past year, just a very interesting Putting things in stark relief, I thought. 55% decrease. Yeah. Oh, things always seem starker when you assign numbers to them. But there's also some other interesting news out from the NTSB this week in that they are going to space. Did you see this, Ian? I did. Well, I didn't see that they were going to space. Okay, they're not Maybe actually going wrong. to space. But now oh, that okay. commercial space flight is becoming more and more of a thing, it seems like there's a, a SpaceX launch every other day now, the NTSB needs to codify how exactly it investigates commercial space incidents and crashes. Now, they, this is nothing new to the NTSB. They've been investigating space-related things for decades, but now that it's really becoming a thing that you can hand over your credit card to a company and go to 
space or near space, when accidents do happen, and they will happen, the NTSB needs to have a codified set of procedures and rules for itself and the operator, just like we do for commercial aviation today. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I applaud that they're getting ahead of this as much as possible. They're trying to be ready because like you said, and and something will happen. You know, eventually the, the law of large numbers means that there will be a space travel related accident and it will need to be investigated. And I think it's good that they're getting out there. One thing I, I'm you know, kind of thinking, obviously tongue in cheek a little bit, but somewhat seriously is how do you send a go team to space? I was wondering the same thing. Like if something happens, you know, obviously there's so much telemetry coming down from any vehicle, but at a certain point, having access to the physical vehicle is, is important. So what happens if something happens in space? I don't know. I was thinking that the same thing. It's not out of the realm of possibility that there's a commercial space flight, let's say on, on SpaceX Dragon to the International Space Station, and something goes bump into something else, and it's classified as an accident. Will the NTSB go on the next SpaceX flight up or Blue Origin or, or whatever up to the space station and, and actually investigate it? I mean, at some point, the answer has got to be yes, right? Yeah, I, I, you would think that they have to eventually come up with some sort of contingency for that. But we're not talking in the next five years, I don't think. No, I would say even longer than that. Yeah, so definitely something we'll return to if they come up with something along those lines. All the more reason that if you are interested in becoming an NTSB investigator, you could someday end up in space. There, I mean, now that's a cool twist on it. So before we go... Jason, someone has a problem with you. Tell me. Tell me. This is somebody new. This is not somebody who thinks you're grumpy. Oh, uh, this well, is we somebody don't know that new. for sure. Well, okay. Maybe that's true. No, no, no. The, the email that came in starts off with praise, saying that they're a big fan of the podcast and that they, that they enjoy it. They also said that you, sir, are wrong. And here's why. That's impossible. That's never happened before. No, never happened before. Not once. So this person took issue with our comments and mostly Jason's comments on Azul in the context of our discussion of Azul wanting to buy Latam, which we both think is kind of a crazy idea. But this person who is a pilot for flying the Cessna 208s in Brazil mentioned that, yes, Azul is a Brazilian airline. However, you failed, Jason, to mention that they are connected to, to almost 200 cities, and it is the only airline to operate in more than 100 cities in Brazil, which is a good point. And I think that they were taking issue with the fact that you called them a small player in Brazil. And I will allow you to address it. I will clarify and say globally, yes, Azul is still a mere blip on the radar of global aviation. Domestically within Brazil, yeah, they've had huge amounts of success. They have hundreds and hundreds of flights daily, even, even now. But when I look on a global scale internationally, I'm picking a random date next year, June 1st, 2022. Azul has eight international flights, a pair on EU-195s and the balance on A330s, that is barely even registering. And when I look at the TAM, that number changes to 128 flights. So yeah, Azul is kind of a rounding error when it comes to LATAM's 
international operations. Not saying that Azul is a small airline in the grand scheme of things. Domestically, they're huge and they'll, they'll give any other airline a run for its money. But internationally, I think Azul had greater aspirations than what really ended up occurring at the end of the day. They fly, I think they have one route to Lisbon. Maybe they still fly to Fort Lauderdale. They never really operated to JFK or New York. I think they, they never even decided whether they wanted New York or JFK. So internationally, Azul is a very, very small player. But I guess it makes sense when you put Azul's domestic Brazil network together with Latam's global reach, you end up with one hell of a monstrously large airline. And so we will see if that comes to fruition. Very, very interesting to follow on. And another, I think, great example of the fact that we do listen to your feedback and we do read all of these emails that you send in. So if you've got something, a question or a comment or just a bone to pick, podcast at fr24.com is the email box. You can also leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That certainly helps other people find the podcast and it lets them know what they're getting themselves into. This has been episode 138 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening. 